following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. Welcome to the Carousel Project. This is our first ever episode and we have so much information to share. But before, what is the Carousel Project? A deep dive into theme park history through the lens of marketing, communications, and public relations. How some of the most beloved moments in theme park history came to be. And we are Kate and Josie. We met on Instagram through um, our love of Disney. And our friendship over the years has grown so much through different um, Disney events, anniversaries, things like that, that we've gotten to experience together. We love geeking out about all things Disney history, especially if it's Disney parks. Yes, especially Disney parks. We have gone to anniversaries together. We've gone to the 30th anniversary, but Kate and I also have in common that we both have backgrounds in marketing, PR, communication. Um, That is important. That's That's why we kind of know what we're talking about just a little bit. And yeah, we're just nerds, right? Like, I feel like we always talk about this. Like, do you imagine getting to work on the year of a million dreams? Like, this is just our jam, our passion project. Things that other people in the 2000s weren't thinking about. We we focus in on the marketing, PR, spinning of it all, the excitement of that. So, Of it all. And to be transparent, this episode has been so difficult to film, um, to record, because there is just so much about the opening of Disneyland, right? Yes. Like, I mean, this is like... I think we just hold that event in such high esteem and we want to do it justice on our first episode. That's Mm -hmm, why we're mm -hmm. kicking it off with this one. Such an iconic event in Disney history. So theme park history. history. Honestly, the original frontier for theme parks today. I think not even just theme park history, but really, if you think about it, like American history world, like this did not exist before. Like theme parks, I feel like since we've been alive, it's just like, I mean, even when I was a kid going Mm -hmm. to Six Flags, which we will definitely do in episode one day on Six Flags Flags, in Louisiana. I feel like we have to. That's where Kate is from, from Louisiana. I'm from New Jersey originally. And I feel like we just you know it was just second nature like oh we're gonna go to a theme park you know but it's crazy that's to what think i that tell at people point, all the time didn't both exist. of us are from the early 90s when we were born and that was during the disney renaissance the disney decade so disney has been ingrained in our lives since yes our boy mikey <laughs> since we were born disney was a thing while disney world existed disneyland existed all these amazing movies came out so it's crazy to think about during our grandparents generation and even before then the theme parks, the Disney theme parks didn't even exist at one point. They were something new. It was a new concept. It was a big leap. It was an innovative thing. So I think that's why we're so excited and anxious to (laughs) talk about this topic. So Disney began, I think, you know, Disneyland began at the Griffith Park Carousel in California. Most big Disney fans know that story. Walt was there with his daughters. He really, really loved his his daughters and his time with them. And he wanted something that they could enjoy together that was clean and different. And, you know, a carousel, how much time could that take up? You know, Disneyland is really something um, that was a whole day and so that's where we were inspired to get the name for for our show from that and from the carousel of progress um and just that was kind of the beginning the beginning of that and then you know yeah (laughs) well you know I think what what I've always loved about that story is that 
Walt knew the importance of spending time with his daughters. He was so busy. He was always working on stuff. But I love the idea that he wanted to create something that not, not only kids could enjoy, but the whole family could enjoy together. And mm. um, he initially wanted to do the Mickey Mouse Park, which would have been right adjacent to his studios in Burbank, because he, he had said before that he felt like when people came to Hollywood, there was nothing really to do. There was nothing for people to really experience. So he thought having this park right by the studios would be something exciting for people. But when he started putting out his plans, he realized that that area was far too small for his big dreams. And that's how he ended up um, looking at the orange groves in Anaheim. Yeah. And I, I think if I'm correct, I, I went to go on a studio tour a few years ago Ooh. and I think the city wasn't too jazzed about the idea either. But I always think about that. Do you imagine we had like this mini, mini Disneyland, like just a little Mickey Mouse park? Like that's crazy. That would be crazy. That would be absolutely nuts. But so, yes, the park was announced on April 2nd, 1954. Um, it was announced at the same time as um, the TV show, which we're definitely going to talk a lot about because so crazy. Never been done before iconic amazing show stopping um and really just something totally new in in the space of marketing and, and advertising yeah and kind of similar to the whole theme parks were not a thing like tv was a very new frontier for me like a new medium that people were using mm -hmm. a lot of people were opposed to it in the entertainment industry but walt could see this was something that wasn't going anywhere and it was a great chance to reach so many people in one place I think another thing that was really cool is in the American original, um, Walt Disney, which is a book by Bob Thomas. I definitely, we talk about that book Adding a few times throughout yeah. this show. <laughs> it is such a good book. If you like Walt or the theme parks or history, it's a great book. But, um, he had a quote where he said long before the opening of the park, Walt always understood the value of publicity. And I think that's really important. Like he always knew that it was important to make himself available to, um, publicity directors and to, um, you know, just, just people from yeah. newspapers and, and outlets, he really understood. And I think that kind of ties into his availability to making himself the host of this TV show. Yeah. Um, so, and he was putting a face with this new mm -hmm. experience. Uncle Walt, you know, once a week is going to tell you about this exciting new place in California that you've got to visit. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it, it was such an amazing thing, but, um, why don't you tell us about the Disneyland show? Because I know you did a lot of research on that. I love the Disneyland show. I think because, you know, I took a class in college on TV and it was really interesting how we talked about, we kind of went through TV through the years mm -hmm. and we talked about how TV was really more created to push advertising to people. And there were times where Walt's Disneyland show was accused of being an hour long advertisement, especially <laughs> um, the episode Operation Undersea, which came out in December of 1954. And it was just really to push 20,000 leagues under the sea. So. Um, and <laughs> Not so um, and so it was cool that it was like Disneyland and other projects that were being worked on. Um, I love the connection with with Davy Crockett and and how how that blew up and and we'll talk about that in a little and how that ties into to the park but yeah the tv show um roy went to new york city he was really the money guy he pitched to the networks um three different networks which could you imagine being you know one of the not abc and saying yes. no to this idea nbc like, and cbs we're looking at you you both turned it down so embarrassing um <laughs> I think about that sometimes and I'm like, damn, I really messed up. I'm like, okay, not that bad. <laughs> That's true. Not as bad as that. Not as bad as when Blockbuster turned down buying Netflix. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not that bad. Didn't they um, 
<laughs> so they would get hour long weekly shows. So they would get content for their, you know, for their networks, but they would have to invest in Disneyland Resort. ABC became a 35% owner, gave a ton of money. This was in 1953. So Walt had been working on the park for a little bit at this point. Um, in December of 1952, he created his own personal corporation called um, Walt Disney Incorporated, which was later changed to WED, which we know transformed years later into Imagineering. I always think that was really cool because Walt really, I feel like even before the park, he really wanted to start working more on animatronics and just something new. Yeah. He kind of was described as every few years he would get like kind of antsy to work on a new project. Um, and when he started working on things for the park, people kind of called him out like, you can't really do that with the studio money. So he was like, okay, and made yeah. his own The shareholders own were thing. like, you cannot use our money for that stuff. It's supposed to be for the studio. And he's like, okay, fine. What it is, I'll, I'll start my own my Goodbye. Own I'm going to do it. <laughs> Um, and so I just thought that was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, the show, I couldn't imagine. I wish they would put it on Disney+. Plus. I wish we could see it. But I couldn't imagine just the excitement of watching that every week. Like you knew everyone you knew was watching it, you know. And it, we just, there's so much out there nowadays. It's so different from, from back then where everyone really watched the same thing yeah well you you really didn't have a choice there were three channels and if you wanted to watch something you knew what time the show came on you couldn't watch it later um and Mm -hmm. I think that's that's what's so iconic about him putting this all together and giving people an entire year to get excited about this opening because construction began on July 16th of 1954 and a year and a day later was the day that the park was supposed to open. So he did not give himself a lot of time, but that's a perfect example of just drawing in the excitement for this big thing in Mm -hmm. one year and one day we are going to build this park. A lot of pressure. Which is crazy. I could not imagine that now. A year. I mean, even for small launches now, there's just so much that goes into it. Oh, yeah. Um, And for a whole entire theme park, uh, that's crazy. The show did air for the first time on October 27th, 1954 with the Disneyland story. And it basically just outlined the park, um, the show. There was a second season that aired September 14th, 1955. So, you know, it was popular. It was a great way to keep people excited um, about the park park and then of course on the day of they had um the dateline disneyland it was the hour and a half um, yes this is like kate's passion project specifically she knows so much more about this than i do but yeah let's jump to the day of well just because that's technically still it was still part of the agreement for the disneyland show is that they had to do this exclusive um it was the largest and most complex live broadcast uh the hosts were ronald reagan um art link letter and then bob cummings so this was this was going on while the park was open um an hour and a half live broadcast just giving people from home the excitement of this much anticipated year-long construction project finally coming to life and obviously that was chaotic there were cords everywhere they never knew if they were live or not but i could not imagine that day there were 90 million people watching at home so um so abc was in my opinion abc and disney were smart with that to to figure out a follow-through once the park opened On the first day, like, we know Disneyland is not that big, and, of course, not everything Mm -mm. was open at the time, and 33,000 people were there around that number on opening day, plus all of these cameras. Like, it wouldn't be done like that anymore, you know? Like, I feel like it would be like, okay, we're going to do this the day before, but 
you know, it was, it was everything happened that day. Um, as Kate mentioned, yeah, Ronald Reagan was there. Um, some people that I thought were really cool that was there was Fess Parker, Frank Sinatra, Debbie Reynolds, Eddie Fisher. Um, all of the Mouseketeers were there and they were able to record a special that, that ran later. Um, I think Fess Parker was probably my favorite person that was there. I didn't know who he was until I worked at Club 33, but I loved his story. Um, basically, backtracking a little yeah, bit backtrack. on December 5th, 19... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> On December 5th, 1954, Davy Crockett first appeared, um, and it just blew up. It absolutely blew up. The song went to number one, um, and this was really the first time that people were, like, fiending for merch. Like, we are big merch people, and... now we just expect it you know like even before a movie comes out you go to the parks the merchandise is there readily available um but that was not the case at the time and when that show came out people wanted his hat so bad um there were all of these calls they it was this crazy scramble to get this hat made and sold they sold over 10 million hats um and so this was just one segment of the disneyland show that had this much success. Um, So there were three Davy Crockett segments, but this was like, that's insane. It was one of the things that helped make the show like basically the most popular show on TV at the time if it, you know, obviously already hadn't been. But I just think that that is so crazy. Um, And so Davy Crockett, Fess Parker, was there on opening day. And even that one person, he led like a parade. Like I just think like that is crazy because at the time people were were so obsessed with him. and that's just one little just, celebrity. Yeah, that was just there one on this person. crazy, crazy opening day. Well, you know, Disney just, they were not expecting the amount of people that were going to show up um, between the counterfeit tickets. And then the fact that the tickets were not very specific, it said one, it was like ticket one entry um, per party. So a party could have been just a family. They were probably assuming maybe like a family of four would come in with a ticket. Um, one one person brought a busload of people, so that really threw it off. Um, but you know, they had twenty eight thousand people that attended, and they were only expecting eleven thousand. So that was an extreme. And we've seen we've seen crazy. So you said twenty eight thousand. Yes. I've seen upwards of thirty three thousand. Yes. I saw one site reporting no thirty six. So like it was. Cr- I mean, and we you know yeah. I don't think we talked about it enough, but like people jumping over fences. Yes. like you just you, things someone, that you could not do now. Someone who lived. A across the wall they had a ladder set up and they were charging people money to use their ladder to get over the fence into disney so um that man was very entrepreneurial and making some money off of that experience but yeah i they really had no way of tracking with with them that many people coming in in different ways so um imagine i couldn't imagine what it must have been working at like the front gate on that day like how exciting it must have been but like that must have been so stressful if anybody out there knows anybody i mean they probably they're probably all dead yeah probably Mm, probably, i mean you'd have to be what like at least 16 in 1955 Mm -hmm. so 2021 minus 1955 years last year so oh yeah yeah. so 66 years ago Mm -hmm. plus let's say 16 you were like the youngest person working there you'd be 82 okay so they could still be alive that's well they could still be if anybody knows anybody who is working there yeah and then (laughs) we'd love to talk to them (laughs) Honestly, I would love to hear about that because I, it had to have been such a, cra- like you said, a crazy day, especially with these big 
amounts of people, busloads of people coming in with their one ticket. I see. I loved when I worked when I worked for Disney. I loved being at events and working them because I felt like I could be there but not be as stressed. There's, I mean, I guess it's probably different since so many people were sneaking in back then and you were going to yeah. get in no matter what. But there's always that like stress. I feel like when you were working there, it's such a different experience. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't imagine like being there with Walt, with all of these famous people, with people jumping over fences. You know, the age old tale of people sinking into sidewalks and mm-hmm. no water, water fountains, fountains not working. They had to choose toilets or water fountains and they could not <laughs> not have toilets. So they <laughs> people were drinking Pepsi and Coke. It was fine. But um, so, yeah, the, yeah, I think I think the point really is that people call this like, oh, my gosh, it was a mess. And I think people I don't know, we love to talk about things that are terrible. But I just think, again, like that is crazy, because if you are publicizing an event, you know, you want people to want to be there. So I, I think they kicked butt. I do, too. And, you know, even the critics that were there on opening day, they they said things like Walt's dream is a nightmare and um so one even said Jerks. like I'm sure I'm sure that there's going to be changes made you know Disneyland was a disappointment but don't be discouraged Walt Disney he's a smart trader so um mm-hmm. because of all of that um before Walt even left the park on Black Sunday he was already focusing on how he could turn this around oh my gosh and you know what I love which I always forget that this happens I think I forget because I don't believe it like I don't believe that anyone would do this like the night before they opened oh yes yes the night before the park opened Walt and Lillian celebrating their wedding anniversary and just using the riverboats and going to the golden horseshoe and having all these people there like do you imagine just being like all right we're gonna have a quick little party in this unopened theme park and then tomorrow morning we're gonna open it (laughs) that's crazy like we're just gonna party and tomorrow morning we'll open it I would love geez if you could find somebody who went to that party like I mean they're probably really important people but still that's that's crazy like do you imagine like all right tomorrow is the biggest day of my career but first Let's, Let's party. Take the river Let's boat celebrate. Around. Which is yeah. So um, so their their PR staff at that point, um, the entire plan was just getting as many of these news organizations back to the parks, but in more of a controlled experience. So they would either have like an early yeah. dinner at Red Wagon Inn um, on Main Street or the um, Plantation House Restaurant on Rivers of America, and then they would get to experience the park. Um, So they basically spent all the rest of that summer hosting these sessions for local, national, and even international media. They still do that now. You know what I mean? Like it kind of shaped like media days now, and of course influencers are included now, but Mm -hmm. it's never just like all right it's a free-for-all everybody come do it you know what I mean like it's a much more yeah uh, definitely shaped and they were strategic and that they knew that the parks were going to be emptier at night so they were they had these people come for like an early dinner and then experience the park and so people were writing specifically about how great it was to go at night how beautiful it was Mm -hmm. and that people needed to go back so they ended up turning it around um and to, yeah, you know, seven weeks, day, seven weeks Disneyland with an opening, one million visitors. Do you like? Do you Which imagine crazy. a project you worked on doing so well that within seven weeks you had a million people traveling from all across, all over, all over to be able to to come with probably no major roadways. Um, I know my mom said when they went to Walt Disney World back in the early seventies. It took like two days from Louisiana to get there. Now it's only like an 
eight or nine hour drive. So I can only imagine in the 50s how much more of a trek it was to get all the way over to Anaheim. Yeah, especially if you lived like far away. I mean, a lot of people probably didn't have the opportunity to to experience it. But yeah, really, really crazy. Um, and then you, Kate always talks about this, this one incredible, um, Marty Scalar story. Yes. So Marty Scalar, um, he, he was a Disney legend. Um, he eventually went on to like lead the Imagineers and he was a ghostwriter for Walt before he passed away. Um, so he became like a really big part of, uh, all of Disney's future stuff after Walt had passed because he had spent so much time Mm -hmm. with him, but how he got his start was as a junior in college at UCLA, um, he was an editor for their um, their newspaper. And so an alumni of the college who had recently gone to start working for Disney, for this Disneyland project, he um, referred um, Card Walker to Marty Scalar basically to write a Disneyland newspaper, um, the official newspaper of Disneyland California. Which is so cute. Which... Um, Scalar had said that he thought it was so interesting that this was a priority of Walt's because he wanted it to truly be like its own town on Main Street to have a newspaper that people would read about what's been going on and um, he said it just showed like how important all the little details were for Walt Um, but because of this he was one of the first hundred cast members and um, he ended up you know writing this this newspaper that uh, was 10 cents when you purchased it in the park, um, and then you could actually go for the, the home subscription. But the original issue was 24 pages. It was for July of 1955, and it was exclusively about the park's debut. And um, that premiere copy is one of the most sought-out publications from the Disney Disney parks and Disney history because I would love, I would to, love have to have one. a piece of that. Yeah. <laughs> We'll take a single page. Yes, just one page. I don't need all 24. That's crazy. And do you know, it's it's so crazy how many people probably bought that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you were there on opening day, you knew how special it was. But I wonder if there are people who bought it and just like yeah, threw it away. Yeah, didn't think anything like of it. Like those things that you're just like, mm, whatever. Like it, it's crazy what becomes worth something and what doesn't but I wish they still did that I would buy a little newspaper on Main Street to read updates and I just love that things about new snacks in this in this one year and one day construction period of all the stuff he's having to do he made a point to say we need to hire somebody who can write a newspaper for um, Disneyland and he made it happen one month before the park opened that's when Scalar got hired and then he ended up going on to be a Disney legend he has his window on Main Street and all that so and I am hearing all the stories of how these people got their jobs like yeah I was just like I feel like every single one of the people from back then like the Disney legends is like yeah I was working at some local college and someone said you want to work for Walt Disney and I was like "Mm, okay (laughs) that's it like that's a whole story like ron domingo his family um owned some of the land that became disneyland that he has his family had that um iconic palm tree that's still there the domingo family tree that they promised they wouldn't chop down it was like a wedding present for his grandparents i believe well he took a job working at the ticket counter because somebody was i think he was like 16 and they were like why not you know you make some money you'll be working at disneyland and he went on to be known as mr disneyland he was a disney legend he just recently Mm -hmm. passed away in january but i mean 
he just took a job there because his family had sold some of the land to Disney to make the park and so became crazy. his whole life. <laughs> became his, I mean, that's, it's just his crazy that it used yeah. yeah. Mr. Absolutely Disneyland. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. So. Disneyland. I would love that. I think, I think that's it. I think we conclude that it really was a very, they did a good job. The marketing was great. I mean, the thought process of of turning to TV, getting those baby boomers on board, really one of the mm-hmm. first times that they were marketed to, um, getting them excited, getting them pumped for the parks. I mean, even just if the only thing that had been a success was Davy Crockett and those, th- you yeah. know what I mean? Like they made so much money um, and such a piece of, of American history off of just that. I think... It, I think it's crazy when people talk about Disneyland's opening day and, and say how bad it was, but don't talk about what a success it was. The aftermath was definitely a success um, and a great chance for them to really spin the situation. You know, it was so crazy and chaotic because so many people wanted to be there. But mm-hmm. now that it's not this crazy opening day, it's it's a great place to be, a pl- great would, place to would go. Would you have done it? Would you have hopped a fence and <laughs> gone and been there, do you think? I would have. Yeah. Absolutely. That would be amazing. To be Although, in the park. Although Kate the first and I talk day, a lot about like our our times that we would travel back to in theme park history, and it's funny because I don't think Disneyland has ever made the top of the list for us. I know we've talked about like the opening of Epcot and you know the opening of uh, Hollywood Studios, but I don't think we've ever been like, oh my gosh, I would love to have been there for the opening of Disneyland. I don't know. It's such an iconic moment, but I think it was just. Um, such a crazy time. Yeah, it it definitely would have been a crazy time, but I would have loved to go. I believe my grandpa was there within the first year of it opening. He was a little boy, but I would have loved to go. Um, and I love that they highlighted those four four of the lands on the Disneyland show. So they really were reaching out to all different types of people, whether it was like mm-hmm. a Davy Crockett fan or like Peter Pan and the Fantasyland mm-hmm. theme or futuristic theme so yeah it was good but i think they did we think you did great walt we do we think you and did team great, walt. <laughs> and marty and team and team and everyone else that must have been so cool i would love to talk to just like anyone who was there but yeah that's it that's that's really yeah. That's it for Disneyland and all the fun marketing. Um, again, this was, we have tried to record this episode so many times. <laughs> Disneyland just had so much going on. There are so many stories that have already been told that have not been told. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think Kate was right that this just feels like such a prestigious, wonderful moment in history. Yes. And I guess, get it right. and I guess since I, I didn't make it to Disneyland until 2016, my home park's always been Walt Disney World. So I just mm-hmm. want to do the original Walt's Park justice and talking about it. But I, I think this was fun. Um, yeah, this was so much fun. We, we are so excited, um, to share, to share all the different topics we have with you. Um, our second episode will be a true Mick Disney production and we hope <laughs> that you enjoyed, um, our first episode on the Disney land resort and then you come back to listen to more. We can't wait to see you guys again soon. See, we see can't wait for you soon. to hear us hear again. You real soon. <laughs> listen real soon. Bye. Bye.